0: And it was a way for me to express myself, to be seen, to be heard, and just to explore what life was like when I was in the vibration of exploration. Because at home, there was a very clamping energy. Don't necessarily risk anything, play the safe route, sitting at the dinner table, like this is the structure, this is how it's supposed to be. A lot of head at home and not a lot of heart. Josh. This is happening. This is happening. Thank nice you for it.
1: being here. Thank you for having me. It's really uh, a pleasure to have you. I'm, I'm honored that you made the trip here and kind of in just a brief time getting to know each other, You chose to yeah. come over and take a look at what we're doing here at Gravity and, and to
0: connect with me. I'm, I really appreciate it. Uh, I, this is my first time to Ohio, now, Columbus as well. And just getting to hang out with you and eating some healthy food and having some conversations about consciousness and things that actually matter. It's been, uh, it's been exciting already, man. So I'm yeah. looking forward to this.
1: Cool. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I'm going to do the official on-air bio read here for everybody else who does not know you yet. Um, so Josh Trent is the founder of Wellness Force Media and host of the top-ranked iTunes podcast, Wellness Force Radio. Josh has spent the past 16 years as a researcher, trainer, and facilitator discovering the physical and emotional intelligence for humans to thrive in our modern world, after publishing over 300 high-level interviews with some of the most respected minds in health, wellness, and self-help industries, Josh has been spotlighted in major wellness media outlets such as Onnit, Spartan, Seal Fit, and Paleo FX. Josh holds a CES certification from the National Academy of Sports Medicine and is the creator of the BREATHE, B-R-E-A-T-H-E. I want to talk about that. Stress management and wellness program supporting women and men with sustainable solutions to meet the demands of our modern world through breathwork and the seven pillars of well-being. In 2019, Josh became the CEO of Civilized Cavemen, helping women and men live better through practical tools for Wellness personal development and paleo friendly recipes it's a lot there it's a lot there it's um impressive and you know, as we were talking earlier, your path here has not been a straight line, uh, no. which is true for most of us, especially when you're kind of following what's what's brewing inside of you so I want to hear about that path, but I want to kind of start um, as early as you Uh, can remember and are willing tell me a little bit about your origin story
0: yeah you know it's we're all going through as you and i have talked about uh, this hero's journey you know separated from what we know initiated into something new and then returning to tell the story and the earliest memories i have were not being understood really early And then even in the deep work I've done with plant medicine and breath work and past life regression, seeing how I came into the world through a mother who was dealing with her own health issues. And for the first two weeks of my life, this just came up last week. For the first two weeks of my life, I was born four pounds, 11 and a half ounces. I was born very premature. And there's psychology around when people come into this world and they're premature, that they have a different path than other people. So I was in an incubator for two weeks. Mm -hmm. My first two weeks of life incubator. Mm -hmm. And that set me up for a a different lens of how I would actually live. And the way that I think it's transpired for me is there's been a path of me always wanting more and always being in the remembrance process that we can treat each other so much better. Mm And we can treat each other with so much more love. So I didn't have a lot of tools. My mom uh, was doing the best she could. I love my parents. Mm -hmm. I got lots of love from my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know what they didn't know because everything transfers back three generations or more. So, you know, I'm eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, going through a lot of stress, feeling all these feelings in my body that wasn't exactly sure how to deal with these feelings. And I found this drug that's uh, food. Mm. (laughs) It's It's a very overused drug. But a lot of people don't recognize it as a drug like they would other things. So without the right tool set, without, you know, really having an emotional intelligence level or understanding, you know, flash forward, bread. Right? I'm like 21 years old. I'm in this job that I wasn't really happy in at all. I was a Mercedes-Benz mechanic mm-hmm. and uh, just in a body that was almost 280 pounds in a relationship that wasn't right for me. Like huge signals from the universe. Mm-hmm. There, there gets to be a change. And... Um, a big turning point for me was I was at this party and I was drinking out of a red party cup. And, you know, the solo cups. And I tried to lose weight because I just felt so uncomfortable in my body. Like really not feeling comfortable in my own skin was a recurring theme. And uh, I slammed the party cup down and I had like my first moment with, higher intelligence with God, with with what I believed to be God. I later found out that it was something totally different, (laughs) but but at that moment, it felt like Mm -hmm. a true connection to God. And uh, the message that came through was there is more to life than this. Mm -hmm. There is more to life than suffering and being uncomfortable in my skin and not feeling safe. Really, it's just that feeling of not feeling safe is what drives people to use food as medication Mm -hmm. or anything else to to quell the feelings that they don't understand how to deal with. So I slammed the cup down. I ran home drunk, Mm -hmm. you know, for like three miles. And when I got to the place I was staying, I I opened the computer and I I typed in a message, like, how do I be healthier? How do I lose weight? Or I don't exactly know what I typed in, but the next 18 months was like trial by fire, where I would lose weight and gain weight. And I would go through all these hard lessons, about white knuckling a process of change instead of allowing that process to unfold, mm-hmm. which now I can look back and I can like hug my 21 year old self and be like, you did a good job, man. Right.
1: All right. right. So let me, let me um, back up a little bit. Cause that's interesting. And I want to really kind of dive into the um, moment, the solo cup moment, but yeah. the early, the first thing you said was past life. And, and then, you know, you mentioned that there were some things that your mom was going through and um, I'm kind of curious uh, how much do you know about past life that 's not something we 've kind of kind of gone that far back in some of these prior episodes. i'm yeah. curious in your case, you know what did you learn and how did you go about learning it?
0: Yeah, you know there's a one of the key founders of the family constellation group it 's a family constellation uh, path that a lot of healers go down is a guy that I just interviewed. His name is Mark Wolin. And he wrote, it didn't start with you. And it's about healing generational trauma. And some of the ways that we can identify how our trauma is actually laden is internal trauma language or external trauma language. Mm -hmm. One of the key things for my internal trauma language that I I identified was I'm not worthy. Mm -hmm. I'm not enough. I'm not love. I'm too fat, whatever it is. Internal Mm -hmm. language. I am this, I am that. But the external language was really powerful. And the external language is what drove me to plant medicine and to breath work and to achieving just a better understanding of what the hell we're doing here. Mm-hmm. And that external trauma language that now I can see was true for a lot of my life was the world isn't safe and people that make money are bad people. Mm. And the exact talk I gave at a mastermind three years ago was money causes pain, expect the worst to happen, and people can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. So those were three hardcore ingrained, like almost like Mm cattle-branded beliefs in my psyche. That I stay the three again. I want to make sure I got that. People can't be trusted. Yep. I mean, it gives me a chill just the same right now because I'm looking back on those beliefs and I'm like, wow, you've done a lot. Good job, man. You've done a lot of work. Right. Um, People can't be trusted. Money causes pain and expect the worst to happen. Yeah. So this was how long ago that you were
1: giving this talk?
0: This was three years ago. Yeah.
1: And and you don't feel that way about those N- no, I don't. three no. things <laughs> at all, right? <laughs> no, now, no. no. And it took, it's me, interesting.
0: Yeah. it took me work to get to even yeah. that understanding three years ago. Yeah. It was at a, my friend's mastermind, the Underground Wellness. He was a, a podcaster. He had a show that was wildly successful and he invited me to speak there. And it was the first time I had ever spoken. Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous because I was like, wow, I'm going to share these things that I've never shared publicly in a room. Mm -hmm. And it's my first time I've ever spoke. I was nervous. There was like a month leading up to that where, but then you know what happened, Brett is afterwards I felt so invigorated and so free because I just spoke it out into existence Mm -hmm. about what was true and what was not true. Mm -hmm. And that was like something clicked.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And my podcast went a totally different direction. After that, we started to focus more on emotional intelligence and physical intelligence Mm -hmm. and the fitness technology conversation and the, and the diet and exercise conversation slowly atrophied, mm-hmm. and I found myself just in a new light and a new in a new understanding of of why we're here. Yeah,
1: sometimes that's all it takes is just to like get it out, just to if get it's it out. Not like your truth, yes, it's out there, and you can you need you needed to be out there to see that. Okay, so not enough um, is definitely a thing. You know, a lot of us have, myself included, and I think it's even more prevalent. And people that are driven and successful,
0: yeah.
1: um, there's some layer of that that is underneath it all. Um, the safety uh, is, is also, I think, a, a, a human fear for many people. So that was the kind of you know what, what you're saying is generational or yeah. past life that you're, you're coming into this world with is, is your understanding.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, and to piggyback on your original question, you know, well, what did I do for the past life regression? Um, there was someone in Encinitas who's very skilled in taking people through past life. Mm. And he identified that in a past life, I had had a stomach injury and that I was in a war. Mm. And so he said, this isn't yours, but this is yours to identify now and to work through. Mm-hmm. Just like the old adage we've heard in personal development, you know, your trauma and the things that have happened for you, they're, they're not your fault, mm-hmm. but they are your loving responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so working with Charles Richards, I just saw how, wow, if, if that's true, that explains why in my stomach, I would always feel tension when mm-hmm. I was young. And it also explains through Mark Wollens' work now, where when I understand that everything we have is three generations back, that makes even more sense as to my mom was manic bipolar, my grandfather was in World War II, my grandma was raised during the Great Depression. Everything around money was scarcity, pain, and fear. Mm-hmm. So of course that got transferred into my nervous system. And also the example of me growing up being on welfare, food stamps, um, father was gone. He would work 15 hours a day. There was never enough, never enough, never enough. Mm -hmm. Everything got embedded into my child's psyche. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, from conception to 10, if you look at the research on human behavior, everything that transpires for us in that time bracket, we spend the rest of our lives either facing and working through or ignoring and kind of pushing down. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the past life was looking at the ways that my grandparents epigenetically encoded my mother. And on the other side, uh, very religious, very religious, very strict upbringing on my dad's side that got encoded into him to not have faith. So from a very young age, I was told energetically through my parents and by their actions. And also on top of that past life epigenetically from grandparents that money causes pain. People can't be trusted. Expect the worst to happen. Mm -hmm. And I extrapolated that at, you know, 34, 35 years old to mean, oh, you mean that wasn't mine? That actually wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. I was just carrying it for them. Because if you look at child psychology, there are a lot of ways in which uh, men and women will mirror the aspects of their parents' behavior as a way to connect, as a way to love them. So I can't make money because if I make money, then that means that my connection with my mom and dad about making money won't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't complain with them about making money. I can't uh, feel a connection of love with them if I don't share the same beliefs as them. And that was a big one. Mm-hmm. That was a big one to understand and to work through.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your mom and dad um, because I want to I want to connect kind of this waking up moment. But before I do that, Tell me a little bit more. You you mentioned some things that your mom was struggling with, um, your parents. What was life like, you know, kind of early childhood? Tell me a little bit more about kind of, you know, how
0: you had those early dots that, you know, eventually might connect. Yeah. The, I mean, don't get me wrong too, because I can look back on childhood and there was a bunch of love. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of love for my mom Mm -hmm. and my dad loved the best way that he could. Sure. But what happens is that we have this negativity bias, and the default mode network in the brain that's hardware to the amygdala, this is what allows us to take an inventory of the things that are a threat to us way more. I think it's nine to one is the ratio I read. Nine to one ratio of my default mode network scanning for threats. Mm-hmm. So when I look back at my childhood, there was a lot of love, but also the threats were real. Yeah, And the threats that were real were... I was extremely overweight as a child. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the tools to stand up for myself or to understand what that even meant. Mm -hmm. And so that's a target for the universe to give me contrast through bullying Mm -hmm. and through being made fun of and Mm -hmm. going through a lot of challenges. So I can remember... Were your parents overweight? uh, Slightly, Mm -hmm. slightly, yeah. Siblings? Sibling, no. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once I got to high school, that changed because I found athletics, I found Mm -hmm. football, and then Mm -hmm. that that was like a catalyst for me in, in a really cool way. But when I, when I go to early life, I can see, I can look back now with clarity and see, wow, a lot of the challenges that I went through, it gave me compassion for living in the now Mm -hmm. because I understand what it's like to not be able to speak your truth, to to not stand up for oneself, Mm -hmm. to have something that I really want to do, whether it's a passion or a dream and not have the emotional intelligence or really just the courage, man, the courage to take action. Yeah. So. A lot of the things that I wanted to do would be like being in, being in plays and, and acting and mm-hmm. like expressing and all these different uh, modes of being the most fully actualized and fully expressive human being. They, they weren't something that was championed and they weren't something that was uh, really uh, celebrated by my, specifically my father.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I can look back now and see, well, well his father never did that for him. Mm. Because one of the biggest healing things that my father and I have had is is after I came back from Rhythmia in Costa Rica last year, I saw everything in the ceremony that had transpired for him. Mm. So it was almost like I saw his timeline of events. I saw a window into his life. Interesting. And I was able to have compassion for him and, and, and see how well, of course he couldn't give me the support that I needed because he didn't get it from his father. Mm-hmm. And we, we all know this on some level. Sure. But to embody that, right. and for me to know on a heart level, mm-hmm. that's way different. Sure. It's way different than just going, oh yeah, he did the best he could. Yeah. Our parents do the best they can.
1: No, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very different thing to actually really feel that and to feel get it. that and like you said, embody it. Yeah. Um, I think it's really the only way to actually move into that truly forgiving space. Or at least it's maybe the most effective way. But tell me a little bit more about that. Tell me a little bit more about your father. I'm curious. I also grew up with a father that um, had a lot of generational stuff brought forward, shadow yeah. stuff that brought forward and and manifested in my childhood. I'm curious, kind of, you know, what was that like? What did that sound like? What did it look like? I, I you know, often find that we're not alone. And and people hearing these stories, these these kind of moments. And you know, we'll we'll talk about how you've kind of put all of this to work, which is I think the thing that, you know, most people struggle with. But but yeah. tell me a little bit more of like what did that look like for you? How did that show up? How did he doing the best he could, like, what did it really look like?
0: Yeah. He worked a lot. Mm-hmm. as as like the typical kind of old school male archetype where it's like as long as my work is good then everything else is good mm-hmm. which on some levels is true we know that but there's a healthy way to approach it and my dad didn't have the intelligence to approach work life balance mm-hmm. because he chose a different path than I've chosen now which is he chose the path of having a consistent paycheck and and working for a company so he um he used to drive the articulator buses, you know, the buses that would bend in the middle. Mm-hmm. And he drove it on an old school, like no mm-hmm. power steering bus. Mm-hmm. And he worked his way up in the San Diego Transit Company. So in San Diego, there's the bus and trolley. And so he became, you know, from driver all the way up the chain to like um, third, or, third or fourth in line. Mm-hmm. And so I can look back on him and I can understand, wow, he really taught me about work ethic. And he really taught me about what it takes to uh, hold a commitment and to be with it. But the thing that was shocking to my child's psyche was in tandem with his commitment came sacrifice of, of loving time with family and came sacrifice of connection with his children. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I didn't understand that at the time because at the time, all I saw was dad's always angry. He's working a lot and never really that comfortable for me to speak my truth. Mm-hmm. And those were the, the pieces that were the most challenging to, to be with, to mm-hmm. sit with. Mm-hmm. So That led to me really going the other way, almost like, um, if you look look at Jungian psychology, it's it's a taboo aspect where anything that's a taboo, the child is going to want to explore because that's how they can get away with it. Mm -hmm. This is part of our psyche as children. So I would drink and party and do some very uh, illegal things Mm -hmm. when I was young. Mm -hmm. And it was a way for me to express myself, to be seen, to be heard, And just to explore what life was like when I was in the vibration of exploration. Mm -hmm. Because at home, there was a very clamping energy. Be quiet. Don't really express yourself. Don't necessarily risk anything. Play the safe route. Sitting at the dinner table. Like, this is the structure. This is how it's supposed to Mm -hmm. be. A lot of head at home and not a lot of heart. So that was the biggest challenge of being in that environment. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I haven't talked about this this mm-hmm. deeply on a podcast yet mm-hmm. um, so I appreciate the space and mm-hmm. and there's certain memories that I can pull back on one of them was my dad had this really big blow up at me he was like somebody should I'll just I'll just say it like this mm-hmm. just in case he ever hears this I love you dad mm-hmm. but he said somebody should should slit her belly like a pig or something like that and it got burned into my psyche mm-hmm. and you talking, were how old he was talking about my mom mm-hmm. I think I was a freshman in high school mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I was, I was a senior in high school. Yeah, I was 17. Mm. And when he said that, it hurt so deeply. Your parents were together. They were split. They were split. They're yeah, split. They split mm. when I was two months old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When okay. I, I think I had just gotten out of the incubator from, mm. from what, whatever the story mm-hmm. lies. And um, it hurt so badly that I, it just reminded me of how I'd felt my whole life, which is you guys… I feel like ever since I could remember, you asked me what's my first thought. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to remind people that they can love one another and that they can treat each other with kindness. Mm. For my whole life, I felt that Mm -hmm. way. And when that happened, it was like this big signal from the universe, like in some way, this is going to make me who I am. In Mm -hmm. some way, this upbringing where there was tension around expression, hurting one another and not the place of kindness and love and service. I think part of my little psyche at that time, my adolescent psyche knew that I would somehow help other people with that in this world. Mm, I'm sure yeah.
1: it did. And, and yeah. again, I want to get to kind of like how that all has come together for you. But I'm curious then on your mom's side of things. Yeah. So how was she kind of in relationship to you knowing that she was separate from your father in that relationship? Yeah. Yet, you know, it's all kind of tangled up to some degree, you know, what was her way of being, you know, cause I've often found again, you know, everybody, I believe well-intended doing the best they can, sure. but you tend to, at least I did early on kind of gravitate to my father's uh, stuff that was put on to me. Cause it was a lot more overt and aggressive and obvious. Um, my mother's side of things. I also took on, you know, absolutely well-intended, you know, totally loving. Um, but there's, again, generational stuff that comes into the absolutely. picture that we take on. So for yeah. you, what did that look like on, on your mother's side?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I love my mom's ability to express and to love. But at the same time, I could also feel that it was coming from this place of her not really loving all of herself. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I was really understanding and, and just dealing with before I ever understood it was, is this how love is supposed to feel? Mm. Is love supposed to feel like there's a condition to it or is love supposed to feel this unsafe? Cause if this is love, like I'd rather not love. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather not be in that loving vibration. Mm-hmm. And the battle when I was growing up in myself was, should I take on the habits of the traditional masculine where I'm always doing, always in control, and always calling the shots. And I'm like, tough guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm six foot. I was, I was 220 pounds in high school. So I was mm-hmm. like a big, big guy. And I think that gave me some solace and some protection. But on the inside, it was like a very soft, undeveloped young man mm-hmm. who was very sensitive to feminine criticism. Very just kind of scared of women in general, mm-hmm. because my mom's example. And again, with love and with kindness, I can look back and say, wow, I can really understand her now. And the understanding that I have is when a mother, when my mother was dealing with having a mental illness, going through days where she would be in her room screaming to God or just not feeling safe in herself, it literally wasn't possible. No matter if she tried her absolute for her to love me and connect with me because of what she was missing within her. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. So I can have compassion for her now and and like love her even more. Mm -hmm. We can talk about later how I've I've gotten to that place. Mm -hmm. But but you're taking me back in a time machine, right? So to go with Marty McFly and actually go in the time machine and go back there, I can understand, huh, no wonder it felt like that. Mm -hmm. No wonder love didn't feel safe. No wonder love came with condition. No wonder there was a battle of me to go either heart or head at all times. Mm -hmm. Because in some way, being in the heart meant you know having a hug for my mom or you know being in the backyard and having her singing or just all these cool memories but then on the other side it's like well i had my dad's example which was you take care of your work you take care of your money and you make sure that your your business mind is is okay but i didn't really want his life either mm-hmm. so i didn't want either of their lives sure. i just wanted pieces of their lives yeah yeah
1: which which makes sense but in the not really understanding all of that at the time, I mean, maybe there's these little, you know, kind of seeds that are being planted, but you're a kid. So you mentioned kind of some of the acting out, the partying, the, you know, whatever illegal activities, um, is, is kind of tell me a little bit of like how all of that without having, you know, all the math summarized, uh, started to manifest itself for yeah. you as you're, you know, kind of getting in
0: through high school into college and early in your life. So basically what you're saying is, Josh, I need you to open up the closet and talk about what was in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting because like,
1: what happens is this, this is normal, sure. right? You, you know, you, you can't do the math. So you act like you said, you know, you kind of, you know, find those like ways where you're safe to, yeah. right and yet there's a lot of shame around it i think for people uh who haven't done the work you've done those kind of acting out can sometimes translate into an identity that runs their life or it can yeah. be shame sometimes that you know as we know therapeutically can loop itself So I think it is helpful to kind of hear like the normalization of the acting out,
0: so to speak. Well, the acting out for me uh, started with pornography. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pornography became this safe haven where there was food and there was porn. Mm -hmm. And I think my story is is a huge mirror of a lot of men's stories in our country. and, And I would say in the world. Yeah. Because pornography is safe sex. There's no intimacy. There's just relief. There's no real emotional vulnerability. And for a young man that, don't, that doesn't have emotional intelligence skills, pornography was like a safe haven. Mm-hmm. So you can do things in hiding. And when you can do things in hiding, they tend to, if one's not aware, stick around for longer. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody has an outward addiction, people are going to see it. If somebody's -hmm. somebody's drinking a lot or if somebody's um, working a lot or somebody has a shopping addiction, like eventually the evidence comes clear. Mm -hmm. But pornography and food take longer because they're primal human drivers. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was tapped into food and sex because they became the ultimate way for me to get that deep breath that I really wasn't feeling for a long time. So the ways that I acted out was watching a bunch of porn, unconscious sex through my 20s, you know, multiple, multiple partners and really just never having a a pole position of being kind to myself or being kind to others. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this came from me feeling rejected by the feminine when I was overweight. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my anger and my unprocessed anger came through me having unconscious sex with a bunch of women in Pacific beach when I was in my Mm twenties. And I've talked about this before because I think it is of service to people to hear this because the way that I operate now is I'm only intimate when I truly love someone, Mm -hmm. when I really have love with someone, like my current partner. And the ways that I acted out, it was just... I mean, it even hurts my heart now just to think about what I caused to the women that I was with and the ways that I wielded sexuality as a way for me to unconsciously remove my pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and unconscious is really, I think, the
1: most important word there. I mean, and it's all important not to take anything away from kind of the other people that were involved in that experience, you know, but, but, you know, on some level, I'm going to make the assumption, at least for this conversation, that maybe most of the parties were all unconscious. Sure. Sure. And like your parents, you're doing the best you can now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right, and I appreciate you sharing, it's very common. I think for men, uh, you know, kind of in our age group in particular, where pornography really started to emerge, you know, as as a real option, um, you know, from an early age, uh, it became kind of the default method of soothing or, you know, kind of disconnecting or getting those you know, kind of needs met that yeah. that weren't being met.
0: Yeah, it's really common. I've done a show with, with uh, Greg Woodhill. He deals specifically with pornography addiction. There's TEDx talks with millions of views around this. And it's because the reason why pornography is such a slippery slope for men is because it can always be done in hiding mm-hmm. and no one can ever really tell unless there's an intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. The one thing that pornography does is it gets between the real intimacy that exists with a partner. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time for most men that it'll be healed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it took for me. Mm-hmm. It took for me being in a real relationship for me to let go of it. Mm-hmm. And letting go of it was actually my, my connection with God, mm-hmm. my connection with spirit mm-hmm. and going through literally the darkest night of my soul that I could ever experience to find that I was the one that was holding on to it the whole time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, there's, no one, there's no one forcing me to watch porn. There's no one forcing me to eat unhealthy foods. It's my choice the whole time. But the understanding of that, the awareness of that, only comes when I have faith, right? When I have the the real faith that this life isn't just about me and my feelings, and and all the things that are going on inside of me. It's me tapping into something far greater for me to let go of what I'm holding on to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Okay, yeah.
1: so I want to unpack some of that with you, but let's um, kind of keep following this thread. So, was it the solo cup moment or kind of where along the way do you start to have the kind of, you know, ability to get out from this um, unconscious way of being and start to see maybe the threads of of your life that have been running the programming, you know, what is it that kind of starts to pull you into observer mode to start to to notice what's been going on.
0: I'm 34 years old. I left fitness after 10 years. And I knew at the end of my fitness career that I just wasn't happy. I wanted to change. I didn't know what that change was. I was in this space between purposes, as David Dia talks about. I knew that my old purpose was dead, but I had no idea what my new purpose was. And so I was like, oh, I'll go the safe route. I'll go to corporate America. And, you know, I'll I'll still work in health and wellness and I'll help people. But every day when I would wake up, every day when I was in this cubicle for the Active Network, I would always feel the same feeling. And the feeling was, this is like spiritual suicide. Because money was great. I was making money, but I was spiritually decaying. And one day I walked into uh, the sales manager's office and he's like, hey, um, we're going to let you go. And I was thinking... Part of me was like, oh, I I kind of knew it was coming and I was excited in a way because I didn't have the courage to pull my own trigger. Mm -hmm. And when they pulled the trigger for me, I drove home. I was a little, I was emotional, but I was also relieved because there was fear. And then there was also opportunity. And in that moment, I can really feel like the Chinese symbol for uh, danger, which is crisis and opportunity. And I was in crisis because rent's got to be paid, I got to eat, things things got to get done. Mm-hmm. But the opportunity existed where oh, I can actually follow my dream now because I'd put Wellness Force in a little box and I would go check on it and I would like update the website, but I really didn't put my heart into it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have the courage yet. I hadn't been pushed against the wall yet. Mm-hmm. So when did everything start to become clear for me? When did I start to go down this path of awakening? It was, that was my initiation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Getting fired from that job was the ultimate initiation so that I would start my awakening process. Mm -hmm. And one could even argue that my awakening started when I moved to Hawaii at 21, when I started being a trainer, when I lost weight. Mm -hmm. That's cool too, because that all led up to it. But I would say the one big inflection point for me was getting fired in 2015. Mm -hmm. and really having to look at like, what is my truth? What am I, what do I stand for? What am I willing to fight for? What am I willing to bleed for? Mm -hmm. And when that happened, I went to a sound healing ceremony a week later and they put the crystal bowls on my body and I was just laying on the ground. I was in a relationship at that time. And I start crying, Mm -hmm. like all these tears coming out of my face. And I was like, why am I crying? (laughs) What, What is going on here? And I realized that was me letting go of being afraid, not having the courage to follow my heart being um, in this mindset of, yeah, money still does cause pain because look what money did to me now. Mm-hmm. Look what look what money did to me now. Mm-hmm. That we drove home, we drove home and I asked her to pull over and I was like, record me. And I said, I'm gonna reach a million people, I'm gonna launch this podcast, I'm gonna coach people with wellness technology, and I'm gonna make a difference in the world and, and I'm gonna have my own business. And that is exactly what transpired over the next four years. Mm-hmm. So I can feel it in that moment. I'm like, oh, good job, man! <laughs> good job! Yeah, awesome. So let, let's talk about that. So, and and
1: not to kind of move totally over, and and maybe you want to just touch upon kind of you know those those other points, which I I think you're right do really matter. So you you know you start out yeah. um, as a as a auto
0: mechanic mm-hmm. working on Mercedes Benz, and yeah. and uh, what brought you to that? Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a big blowout. Uh, argument with my father. I, I left home shortly after graduation. I was bailing cardboard at like three in the morning, just really grinding and just surviving because that was my paradigm. I thought, well, oh, you have to work really hard for money. And I had always enjoyed working on cars. I had a 66 Mustang when I was 17. I had like a Rockford Fosgate subwoofer in the back and I'd redone the whole engine myself. And it was just cool. It was just fun. So I had an interest in automotive, but it wasn't a passion. It was just something that and I find, I find that a lot of times people do this. They'll take something they're kind of interested in and they'll just pour themselves into it and try to make it a career. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like a passion of mine. It was more about me just surviving. And I can distinctly remember being a technician and just feeling like, okay, I don't really like this. And actually, I, I never want to work on a car again, but at least I'm getting paid. Mm-hmm. At least I'm surviving. Mm-hmm. So when I let go of that, when I left the automotive industry... I saved up enough money to take six months off of work and just find myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I moved to Hawaii and I really just understood, oh, I have to be still. Mm-hmm. I have to take time to really know myself. And in this world, the challenge of knowing oneself and becoming aware and having the space to actually do the inner work. The challenge is that modern day responsibilities and bills don't pause just because we want to go deep within ourselves. hmm And so I remember feeling that way. And and so I I made a a note to myself and I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can take six months out of life, out of the normal 3D world and just find out who Josh Trent really is. Mm -hmm. And that was when I found health and fitness. And that led me to a 10-year career as a trainer. Mm. And so the health and fitness then comes and it becomes clear that...
1: This is a path that, that you do want to make your work.
0: Yeah. 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 Because when my physical conduit is clean and when my body feels good, mm-hmm. consciousness can come through. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that at that time. I just knew that I felt better. Yeah. And I knew that my brain could operate better. But I can really see it for what it was now. Mm-hmm. At the time, I thought, hmm, if I look good, women will like me. Mm-hmm. If I'm helping other people, then I'm worthy, mm-hmm. you know? And so training offers this beautiful window for, and a lot of people that are in fitness or yoga or anything, they, they're they coming to it because they're in a healing process within themselves. Yeah. You know, there's a fraction of health and wellness that they're just healthy and they just love it. Right? Yeah. And those people are great. But I would say the far majority of, of most health, wellness, yoga, any kind of healing arts or any kind of healing practice or health practice where you're coaching other people is because we all teach the lessons to others that we're currently learning ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was doing there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so the the takeaways, though. So you 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 go through this journey and you end up, you know, deciding to move into corporate. And and it, well, why don't you just you speak to why you you decide that you know after a decade of of doing this work, corporate is is calling you. Yeah, I wanted safety. Yeah, I wanted safety and security. So you're you're still now seeing kind of that generational, oh societal now because it's not just a generational thing. Now now your 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 shadow work that's coming forward generationally is now being validated by you know your childhood and your societal surroundings. Of
0: course, yeah, yeah, because I I had the belief still when I was in corporate America. That money causes pain. People can't be trusted and expect the worst to happen. So Mm -hmm. I was vibrating that. Mm -hmm. I was vibrating that in every situation.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me uh, just to kind of get the the timeline. You'd mentioned you had this dark night. You you have the kind of corporate suicide kind of feel, right? Where you're like, I'm dying here, right? (laughs) How how kind of does this all start to really move you into the work that you're doing now? You 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 get fired. You have that moment. Yeah. Um, do you just start going to work on on that vision, or kind of what else is transpiring that's really kind of starting to give you the confidence or the courage that you had lacked earlier? To you know, is it the past experiences
0: or yeah. you know, tell me how that's coming to life? It came to life because. I had experienced so much contrast, so much of what I didn't want, mm-hmm. pain and suffering and mm. just being in a place emotionally and physically where I never thought of suicide or I never, I've never questioned not being here because I've always been underlyingly grateful to be here. But there were times where I was like, can we cuss on your show? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I've, I've had times in my life and specifically um, when I was in corporate America where I would think to myself, why the fuck are we here? Mm-hmm what are we even doing here? What, what is this? Is this a game? Like, and if it is a game, like I don't want to play. Can I talk to the operator? Can I figure out who actually is controlling this thing and right. have a conversation with them? So, so the dark night of the soul for me was when I did get fired, there was about two months where I flinched. I wanted to launch the podcast. I wanted to do the thing, but I was still holding on to what if it doesn't work out money causes pain, these old beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that dark night of the soul became this massive rift in my relationship with my partner at that time. Mm. And she did not necessarily have the tools to understand what it was to launch your own business and, and, and speak the truth and go out there and actually do it. And so in the course of six months, man, I, we broke up, I launched the show. We had, to, my mom had a, a medication issue. We had to put her in a mental institution And this all happened in six months. Mm. And and then I was launching the podcast. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I wanted to follow my heart and really have the courage to do what it it was I I believe I'm here to do. And then the universe tested me Mm -hmm. with like these two major other thresholds. Mm -hmm. And this is previously I had gotten fired. So it's like the timeline was fired, sound healing ceremony, breakthrough, recorded what I was going to do on the cell phone with her, then launched the podcast, broke up, then put my mom in a mental home. Mm. And it was all just like, mm-hmm. all that happened at once. Mm. So it it allowed me to understand like how challenging things can be, but it never felt like I was a victim. I just assumed, wow, when we really want to follow our dreams, we're going to be tested. Mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah. going to be tested. And
1: that you had enough conviction and belief in your dream that you were willing to get through those and able to get through those tests.
0: Yeah, because I had already felt what life was like on the other side. Yeah. I, already knew, I already knew what the other path. It's like that scene in The Matrix where they open the door for Neo, and she's like, you can go that way, but mm. you already know what's down there. <laughs> right. You know, and I, I knew what was down there. It was mm. me being miserable yeah. in a job that I wasn't of service. I wasn't really contributing. I wasn't pouring my heart into something that I believed in. Mm-hmm. I was contributing in a fraction to someone else's dream. Mm-hmm. And I'm not shitting on people that, that work in corporations. You can have a really good life. Mm-hmm. Working in a corporation. Sure. But it just wasn't for me. Right. And I think what I had to experience was this flinch, this courage-building flinch, where I would actually say, I'd rather die than go the other way. And mm-hmm. I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. I would much rather die than have wellness force die. Mm-hmm. They just take me out. Mm-hmm. I, I, really and I and I truly mean this. Like I believe that's where we all have to be. Mm-hmm. If you want to have your own business, if you want to make it happen, you have to be willing to die for it. Yeah. Because I refuse to ever lead that past life again. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do anything it takes. Yeah. Now I know that it doesn't have to be a struggle, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a fight, but that's there if I need to access it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't operate from there, but it's in the back of my mind. And if I need to go there, then I can. Yeah. So we
1: had this conversation a little bit at lunch. It's always fun when you kind of meet somebody that's uh looking at the same things, you know. Yeah. Um, and and so it was kind of quick to dive into some, you know, deep waters, you know, the idea of us having free will, of being in action, of taking all of these learnings versus maybe the faith that there is something else at work, and maybe it's an intelligence we don't understand, uh, a faith, a trust, a universe, God, whatever it is that you call it. Yeah. You know, kind of tell me a little bit about how you saw all of that then as you're going through all of this. Um, Does it feel more like you're in action based on kind of a survive or thrive kind of mentality? Or are you starting to get connected to faith and does it feel more spiritual?
0: And where were you with all of that as you were moving through the journey? (laughs) The journey with the podcast is what brought me to God. Mm. which I've never really connected to (laughs) until you've asked me that question. So Mm. thank you for the question. Mm. The podcast and speaking my truth and having courage, I think we've all heard this thing like the universe rewards courage. It does. God, universe, higher intelligence rewards courage. So when I had the courage to follow a completely uh, non-guaranteed path, Mm. (laughs) you know, this path is not guaranteed, that courage afforded me the space to connect with god again and to really face what addictions and what distractions i wasn't looking at mm. and and that is what allows me to that has what afforded me to trust and have faith and with trust and faith i can have conversations that come from that space mm-hmm. i can have faith and trust based conversations instead of surrounding myself with people that believe the only way to make it is to hustle and the only way to make it is to fight and white knuckle. That was the journey for me initially. The mm-hmm. first couple of years of the podcast, I was going to conferences and I was watching Gary Vee videos. And it's like, you know, just work your face off until you die. Right. Right? And, and just struggle and hustle. And like, well, if you want a different life, then you better stay up till five in the morning and work and get yeah. three hours of sleep a night. No, that is not the answer. There is, and I do believe this, there is going to be some parts of anyone's journey where there is sections of hustle, but it can't be the whole whole position it can't be the whole thing and that's been a big learning curve for me and I would say ever since 2018 early 2018 where I did go to Rhythmia which is its own story in itself um, it allowed me to see the truth of how I was being and connect with my faith to God because for a long time when I was a child and just throughout life I really just had an anger towards God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I was like, well, God, if you're so great, like, why do you let suffering happen in the world? Why mm-hmm. are people dying? What, what, What is there so much anger and, and hatred and betrayal in this world? Mm-hmm. And why by the way, why are you letting guy? why are you letting mother earth die? What's that all about? Mm-hmm. And I realized that I, not only do I not get to know, but that everything is unfolding in divine perfection. Mm. Okay. Um, so, so, I think we have to talk
1: about rhythmia then. So, yeah. um, it, that's that's a that's a intelligence, a learning that you're getting yeah. through the rhythmia experience. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. and my listeners might not know about okay. rhythmia. So I've and I've had a chance to talk with Jerry on a number of occasions. But um, why don't you kind of lay out rhythmia and and yeah. kind of how that profoundly impacted you? January
0: 2018, Rhythmia Life Advancement Center reaches out to Wellness Force because we had gotten some good traction. And for people that don't know, this Life Advancement Center is a place where they specialize in plant medicine, which is um, ayahuasca, and they also specialize in breath work. And so, with those two healing modalities, they transcend people very quickly um, to have breakthroughs in their self awareness and their consciousness. And these tools allow people to access parts of themselves that either may not ever be accessed without it or would take uh, decades of therapy to be accessed. So, in that same vein, when I went to Rhythmia and I had my my first week of ceremony, I had two specific breakthroughs around myself and my mother and my father that were so transformational. And let me just pause you there for a second. So cause because I'm I'm kind of intrigued with like the
1: subtlety of how plant medicine shows up for people, or sure. really how anything that really moves us in another direction. And it could be. Anything, you know, a solo cup, in, right? In your case, mm-hmm. um, or a sound healing bowl, <laughs> a sound healing bowl, or you know, yeah. now, now this um, retreat center, yeah. Costa Rica. So they reach out to you and is, is like doing these kind of you know journeys, plant medicine, like where is it on your radar? Had you been curious? Had you been asking about it? You know, tell me kind of how that. How you ended up getting there, really.
0: You know, what's interesting is I had done a handful of ceremonies before, but they were just one night at a time. Mm. And Rhythmia does four ceremonies in a row. Mm -hmm. So you go layers deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's doing four ayahuasca ceremonies in a row is the deepest work I think I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I think most people will ever do. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I had done some ceremonies in LA because when I was in my relationship, I had done an emotional intelligence training in LA. And some of the people in the training had done ceremonies. And so that's where I found out about, I didn't even know what it was. I was Mm -hmm. like, ayahuasca, what does that do? Mm -hmm. Why would you drink a plant? Mm -hmm. What are you you gonna drink this this liquid goo for? Mm -hmm. And what allowed me to do it was I really loved the woman I was with and I wanted it to work. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, if we go do this ceremony together, then I'll get whatever downloads I need to get. Mm -hmm. And and I'll understand like what that really is. And um, the first ceremony I had was terrible. I was like, God, what is this? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Later we found out that the shaman wasn't in a good energy, which is very important to choose the right energy with your shaman. Mm-hmm. But there was a moment where I was in the restroom and I was shitting, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what you do with mm-hmm. these plant medicines, mm-hmm. or you, you throw up or you shit mm-hmm. or, or both. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the bathroom and these vines wrap around my legs. And I'm starting to think, okay, I'm just going to let go for a moment because there's mm-hmm. nothing I can really do. And I felt, <sighs> I felt this incredible love that I had never felt before. And it was like every single woman, grandmother, mother that I had ever even knew existed were hugging me at the mm. same time. Huh. That's beautiful. And I could even feel it right now, you know, mm-hmm. just, and I, I only, I only got it for maybe a minute or so. And it was so profound and it was so loving and so relieving to all the stories and beliefs that I had stacked up. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, okay, maybe I'll come back to you sometime. Mm-hmm. It took me a year. <laughs> it took me a whole year to come back. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, there was like this love, but then there was also this firm hand of truth mm-hmm. that, that met me. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was held and I was slapped with the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth was that um, I had become this petulant child that was still angry at his mother and father that really was holding on to a lot of things that didn't serve the man. And the child just wanted to be seen and heard. Which and, is a paradigm for all of us,
1: and how were you with the slap of the truth i mean it's it's easy to be loved, um, right you know especially if you're longing it. Um, how did that slap of the truth show up for you in journey was it was it in ceremony was it um harsh were you resistant did it just kind of take you over? Um, do you remember
0: yeah the I think it was probably the third uh the third journey that I had where I really started to understand um, how how angry that I still was, mm-hmm. like how much anger was still in there, mm-hmm. and I didn't know mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was actually in there, so mm-hmm. that was so when when I was purging, i was I was purging into a bucket and I could see the anger in the bucket. Mm-hmm. I could actually feel what that anger was all about, and it was because I'd never wanted to explore it mm-hmm. because a, expressing anger takes courage, and b. I had been pouring all my courage into driving my business forward. Mm -hmm. So there's only so much courage we can manifest and we can pull through us at one time. Mm -hmm. And the the medicine stops working when uh, it's time for it to stop working. And by the medicine, I don't mean the ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, whatever we're doing to quell within ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the medicine of pornography stopped working. The medicine of me being angry and not dealing with it stopped working. And the way that I was disassociating from what was really going on with me stopped working. Mm -hmm. So that's when my soul or higher intelligence, one of the two or both, called the medicine into me so that I could start throwing up this anger. Mm -hmm. So that I could start letting go of this anger.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, so um, now is that... Uh, was that happening for you in the Rhythmia experience or in the journeys leading up to Rhythmia?
0: Leading up to Rhythmia, but then that first week at Rhythmia is where I went very deep. Yeah. And that was where I really saw, like on the third and fourth night, there was a specific moment where all of a sudden I'm in my mom's room at our Dallas street home in La Mesa and I'm laying on the floor and as a baby and I could see my my mom through my baby's eyes. So Mm -hmm. there I was as a baby and I could see her And I just felt so much compassion and tenderness for her and just an understanding that she not only was doing the best she could, but she was being the most loved that she knew how to be. Mm -hmm. And the thing that made it even more real was I looked over in the dresser and I'd forgotten I did this. In the dresser, I had carved love one another Mm -hmm. when I was really young and that was when it became super real when i was like am i actually am i actually in my baby's body being held by my mom yes i am <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and i and i just started crying and i just my relationship with my mom changed forever mm-hmm. and it will never be the same that was mm-hmm. 2018 and when i came home i just saw her in a different light you know and i saw her in this light of being such an incredible woman to go through what she went through, and also just to love her in the best way that I can, and mm-hmm. just meet her where she is, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, because this is all we get. Yeah, and ayahuasca showed me like not only is this is not only is this all you get, but your work is to be grateful for what you have. Mm. Be yeah. grateful for what you have. It doesn't mean that I can't strive for a deeper connection, or that I can't want more, or or work towards a, a better connection or more love, but Meeting her where she really is became the ultimate solace, mm-hmm. you know, the ultimate relief mm-hmm. of like, oh, you've been trying to change your mom for decades <laughs> when well, you just love her and accept her for yeah. who she is. And then maybe the change will come. And that was it. Yeah. It,
1: yeah. So, So that's beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I can relate. And it does sometimes just really take kind of, I think experiences that can really get you back in it or close enough to it or to see it in a way that, that really shifts your way of being and your, your way you frame things. yeah. And so with all of that comes wellness force and, and you know it's a force. You've got mm-hmm. a lot going on and yeah. it's all really pretty phenomenal wherever you want to start, I'd love to kind of hear, you know, where you are now. You've taken that whole journey and there's so much there. I mean, generationally and taking on, you know, the, um, the, 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 both the love and the shadow, the, the, you know, your parents and everything that they did, attempted to do actually did. Um, good and bad, the work experience of, on your own, your own um, kind of acting out and, yeah. and thriving and trying and you know navigating it all leads you to where you are today, all of it. And it's all, in my view, it's all perfect, right? Yeah. I mean, certainly we can look back and we can see the perfection of all those learnings each one being really, really valuable, (laughs) you know, being in the training world, you know, having been overweight so that you could be in the training world to begin with, right? To then learn how to communicate with you mentioned earlier, like how, you know, you learned really communicating with others through training. It's all so perfect right
0: now and and seeing it that way. So how are you using all of that? Yeah, the greatest way that, trainers or just health practitioners in general can be of service is just to be able to understand how to hold space, how to hold space and how to have a great conversation. Like that's the biggest elements of training. And so I can look back on personal training and be like, Oh, that's why I did it for 10 years. So I would know how to connect with people on a podcast. So I would understand what really matters and how to get down to the truth quickly. So that that's a big one that I take Mm -hmm. away from training. Mm -hmm. Um, the The other piece that I got was that it does take this balance of mind and body, you know, half beast, half spirit. There's a part of me that is very heady still. Mm-hmm. I like science. I like concepts. I like I like learning. I want to know, I want to know the nuts and bolts of things, but I don't let that lead twenty four seven. You know, what leads is this space between the head and the heart. Like that's my work right now, and that's what I share in the podcast. Mm-hmm. The podcast is a culmination of my entire life of either resisting or allowing and understanding what real intelligence actually is. Mm-hmm. Real intelligence is not my ability to gather a bunch of information and even have like multiple degrees or books or real intelligence isn't the fact that I've done 400 interviews. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's not intelligence. My intelligence is how do I gather? How do I apply? How do I try the stuff on? Mm-hmm. How do I wear it? You know, if, am I wearing something that I can wear and I can learn from? Am I practicing with my partner different uh, exercises and lessons? Because if I am good and if it works, then I'll keep it. And if it doesn't work, then I'll let it go and I'll keep keep learning. But really what I'm working on and what all of us are working on and what you are working on and what we're all doing is we're in the process of embodying all the things that we're gathering and applying. Mm -hmm. Because embodiment can't be faked. You know, when I'm around somebody and they embody a certain quality that I'm working on, I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. they got what I want. (laughs) You know, they they got what I want. And people can feel it from me too. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm embodying certain qualities that that people are working on themselves. And we're all learning from one another. You know, certain people might embody a uh, physical health that we're all working on. Certain people might embody like a financial health that we're all working on. Certain people might embody a peace within themselves that we're all working on to embody. And so we're all learning from each other. And the podcast is just an open sharing of this learning, Mm -hmm. you know, without me having it completely mastered, you know, I'm further along than some people. And so I feel confident to to guide them in certain ways, but in in no way do I have everything figured out Mm -hmm. or everything mastered. And that's actually part of the fun Yeah, is like just admitting that and just going to the places that you and I have gone on this podcast, knowing that it's all working out for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's really important,
1: critical. Yet, you know, you've got businesses that are in a life experience that have incorporated a lot of tools, a lot of hacks. You know, we were talking about supplements and CBD and, you know, yoga, breath work. There's, you know, nutrition. uh, uh, There seems to be an overwhelming amount of, hacks so to speak out there now tell me about kind of what's working for you what are you offering to other people
0: yeah what's working for me is my continued commitment to having faith Mm -hmm. that's the number one Mm -hmm. and then from there my commitment to my own mental health Mm -hmm. because if i'm if i'm constantly growing those two things everything stems from there and with the faith piece there's, there's only one way to get there, and that is just to surrender to what is. And to, for people watching or listening, that might seem like a little bit of a foreign concept, or maybe with your audience, probably not. Maybe they've already explored this. Mm-hmm. But we all know the most important time to surrender is when we least feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. That is the most important time to surrender. So the universe will continue to put situations in my favor where it's giving me the space to decide to decide if I'm going to white knuckle and strain or, or stress, or I'm just going to let go and just and just surrender. So that's the number one. And then number two is mental health. Seeing what happens with my mom and also just seeing the world we live in too. Mm-hmm. You know, the world we live in is not conducive to mental health. Krishnamurti put a quote out there a while ago. I think it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because we're healthy. because You might look good. I might look good. We might feel okay. And but what about the people around us? Mm -hmm. You know, that that that's another piece that I lean into on a continuous basis is Mm -hmm. yeah, I I might be healthy within myself and I I might be doing my own work on physical and emotional intelligence, but how is that actually in a way just a little chip or a little blip of helping our people that we live with? Mm -hmm. And that is our brothers and sisters in the world. And and that's big.
1: How how do you work on the mental health piece of it? Are you in therapy, what are your kind of methods of working on your own mental health?
0: Yeah. The, the big one is being still enough to listen to what is really going on in my mind. Mm-hmm.
1: Is that a meditative practice? It's, it's
0: meditative. Um, I have a, from all these interviews that we've done, I have a guide that I've put together and I follow the guide. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guide is six practices from 300 people. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just found what are the threads that connect all of these world-class leaders? What are they actually doing when they wake up? Mm-hmm. It's always meditation is in there somewhere. Yeah. There's always some kind of stillness practice. Yeah. So I don't care if it's three minutes or or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's without it, the day starts differently. Yeah. And then everything refracts from there. Mm-hmm. So that's a big one. And I notice it too. You know, if I do miss a day where I don't meditate, last night I got in on a plane here to Ohio and I just got in and I just sat for 20 minutes mm-hmm. in the hotel room and mm-hmm. I just sat in stillness. And yeah. it reset me. It allowed me to like, Okay, now I'm going to go do some lunges in the gym.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, now I'm going to go get a healthy meal at the bar. But if I didn't do that and I was a, a victim to my environment, I might have gone to the bar right away, skipped the gym, skipped the meditation and not, not gotten some healthy food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it came from me cycling down my nervous system. The number one thing we can do for mental health is just to learn how to be with what is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we can't, you know, you can, you can go to Byron Katie workshops and you can download all kinds of guides and stuff. But unless you're actually doing it, unless you're eating your own dog food and sitting in stillness at some point during the morning, it's going to be really challenging to have mental health because we're a product of that default mode network where the brain is constantly scanning for threats. Mm. And I can choose to not fall into that default mode network because I'm still enough to hear the truth. And sometimes when I sit in meditation, there might be some sadness that comes up. Mm
1: -hmm. You
0: know, like this morning, there was a little piece of sadness that came up and I just sat with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, come on in, mm-hmm. <laughs> come on in here. Let's mm-hmm. spend some time together. What are you here to teach me? Mm-hmm. What are you, what are you trying to show me mm-hmm. instead of me trying to resist you? Mm-hmm. And, and that's been, um, man, you know, doing this podcast, I haven't gone this deep on a show in a while. So, <laughs> so thank you. But out of everything we've talked about, you know, when, when the topic of mental health comes up, mm-hmm. the only way that I can be mentally healthy is if I'm being honest with myself. And if I'm, if I'm working on me being at peace with what is, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's always possible for us to be 100% at peace with what is. Yeah. I don't know if that's a real concept. But the, con- the constant learning of me being at peace with what is is such a more freeing path mm-hmm. than me trying to resist what is or fight what is or try to get a thought out of my head. Most, most mental health disorders, it's because someone is having a thought that's either not theirs or it's generational or it's chemical or whatever it is. And it's the resistance to the thought.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, I got to get this thought out of my head. Why is that there? Oh, my God. Instead of just yeah, breathing and pulling it back in. Which yeah, so
1: is that where the belief systems, the BTFA system come in? Is that part? Yeah. Of yeah. yeah? a little so, bit about that. I heard you mention okay, cool. it and
0: was yeah, intrigued. Thanks for asking this because I, from everything that I've learned and just you know Charles Duhigg and Nir Ayal and Gretchen Rubin and just understanding how all of these men and women have helped other people change their thinking, not resist their thinking. Notice I didn't say they're resisting their mm-hmm. thinking. They're just being aware of their thinking. The, the number one piece is, can I choose something different? Because if I can choose something different, that's when I'm not resisting the thoughts. Mm-hmm. So if I can just bring those thoughts in, belief, belief. If I have a belief, then it's going to create a thought. So, if I'm having a thought like I'm not good enough, what belief is that tied to? So, BTFA is belief, thought, feeling, action. I have a belief; it creates a thought. I feel a certain way, mm-hmm. and to either deal with that feeling or not deal with that feeling, I'm going to take an action. Mm-hmm. So, our actions are a product of that BTFA loop. Yeah, it's a great.
1: But, I was really,
0: I, I, I felt like just kind of systematically
1: breaking that process down was really. Brilliant. And I've heard other people do it in different ways, but there's something about the way that you were describing it as I was listening to a previous podcast of yours yeah. um, that simplifies it in a way that I think it ha- is actionable. Yeah.
0: yeah. Because we're a product of, of our beliefs and thoughts. And, and if we're not careful, our feelings lead us to actions that are either aligned with our heart or not. Yeah. But then the real exploration, which my, my second piece I was going to tell you is about breath work we can talk about is if I'm, if I'm feeling a certain way, can I take a big breath and actually know that that feeling is true? It's like, is that feeling true? Yes or no? Okay. Okay. No, it's not. Okay. Well, what thought created that feeling? Is that thought really true or not? Yes or no? No. Okay. What belief, if that thought's not true, what belief is that thought tied to? Is that belief actually true? Yes or no? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, now that I know that the belief, the thought, and the feeling aren't true, I'm going to take an action that's opposite of what they're trying to tell me to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to do what my my heart, my soul is telling me to do, mm. instead of being a slave to this loop. <laughs> and it's just such a, it's such a unforgiving loop mm. for so many people. It's so unforgiving and, and unconscious, probably And unconscious yeah. and unkind. It represents the darkest shadow that yeah. we're dancing with here. Yeah,
1: th- this feels like a very conscious way to be tackling what's going on. Yeah. You know, rather than um, letting it sweep you, you are stepping out of it and saying, okay, what's happening here and what do I want to do about it? Yeah. And
0: that's, if we're still enough, that's what comes through. I don't care if you're analytical or if you're Mm. spiritual, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: being in the stillness and just asking questions. Yeah leads to different actions and trusting the faith to then trust yeah. the answers that are coming through. Yeah, Cause like you said, you know,
1: it, it's, it's usually the things that you resist the most that you, you know, you, you don't want to do, you need to do. So there's the trust and the faith that really has to be allowed for the surrender to knowing that that's there for you and for your benefit.
0: Yeah. So the breath work can actually take people to a meditative place a lot of times why people don't meditate is because they're, they're so, mm-hmm. um, they can't sit still. Yeah, they're restless. They're, they're so yeah. uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And so in our process with the M21 guide, we do the breath work before we meditate. Mm-hmm. That way it can actually get people out of that monkey mind loop. Because when you're breathing and you're focused on just this autonomic response, breath work is the only voluntary and involuntary thing that we have. Mm-hmm. We can't digest our own food. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know this. You can't beat your own heart, right? Yeah. There's And there's something breathing you and I. Mm-hmm. We're being breathed right now. You haven't consciously thought of your breathing, or maybe you have. <laughs> I've, I've thought of it a few times during this podcast. But right now we can all choose to. We just did that. Mm-hmm. But it's in concert with intelligence that breathes us without us breathing ourselves. Mm. So if we can use that autonomic lever and pull it and actually get to a place where... We're doing a specific breathing protocol that gets us out of our mind so that we can tap into what our body is holding on to. Most most emotional things are held in the body. Mm -hmm. You know, sacral chakra, solar plexus, neck. That's -hmm. where where everything's held as far Mm -hmm. as as anger and sadness and grief. So doing breath work before someone meditates in this mental health continuum is massive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we're seeing a resurgence in breath work is because not everybody can go into a plant medicine ceremony right off the bat. It takes preparation to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me meditating, float tanks, Vipassana, some small psilocybin therapies, and then going to ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, like, I was perfectly guided, of course, if people were to ignore guidance and just go right to ceremony, I don't think that would be the most healthy thing for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it's a a great question, and we could talk about that. Exactly. The medicine could be a whole show by itself. I, I have also wondered about that because I believe that there potentially is a path that is maybe similar to what you described for yourself that allows people to ease into and prepare yeah. for kind of the 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 real teachings. On the other hand, you know, that was not my experience. And, you know, sometimes the rip the band-aid, you know, might be the most Effective way to really True. get opened, True. Um, you know, because the slower path is assuming that somebody's going to see it all the way through. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually don't know how I feel about that. I, I tend to think that like there's a way to move people through it that's you know kind of um, being intentional and holding them in a very safe and warm space, uh, through the healing, um, is, is probably where I shake out on it, but I'm not convinced sometimes that, you know, kind of the, the push isn't, isn't necessary.
0: Yeah. I think that's true. And if someone's really called, they're called. Yeah. Right.
1: And then there's that, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, so we're thinking I'm thinking this through at least, you know, what's best, what's the best way to do this. And, And, and in reality, you know, that's, Making this massive assumption that I actually have any say in it. You know, that, that, you know, uh, it, it's not just happening.
0: We talked about meditation and being still. There's lots of practices for that. We talked about breath work. And then also in concert with that, I think for mental health to really be able to be a continuum for people where we're constantly in health practice of our mental health is having some kind of trauma release process. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it's, uh, It could be some kind of massage therapy. It -hmm. could be bioenergetics. It could be ecstatic dance. Just something where there is catharsis, where there's actually an emotional release. Mm -hmm. And um, there's so many different therapies for this. Mm -hmm. right? Um, But that's a big one because if we're still enough to hear the truth and we're doing our work to be at peace with the truth on a continuous basis, and we're doing our breath work to tune into what's really going on with our bodies, and we're doing catharsis work where you know, whether it's with a skilled practitioner or maybe it's a catharsis breathing journey. You know, I've had many breathing journeys where I've cried and I've processed just like in an ayahuasca ceremony. Mm -hmm. So I think those three need to be together Mm -hmm. in order for this continuum to to happen. And let's face it, look, for some of us, uh, medical intervention is necessary. You know, whether there's been a TBI or there's Mm -hmm. been some kind of deep trauma that's altered the dopamine and the serotonin pathways. Sometimes medication is necessary. Yeah. And sometimes you, know?
1: you just don't know until you get in there. Sometimes you don't know. Yeah. It was once described to me as, you know, medicine being that kind of like push on a skateboard and then all the pedaling that, you know, needed to happen in between was really where, you know, the combination of that kind of integrated journey really happens. And yeah. so I'm glad to hear you speak to kind of the breath work and that continuum of support and the many ways that you could do that. Cause I think it really all is necessary that there is no one quick as much as, you know, four yeah. days at Rhythmia might be uh, profound. If you don't come home and integrate and have the tools to do that, you might lose a lot of that learning. And we've all seen people that you sure. know, have done that.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, this is why the, the last piece is so important is if we're not integrating lessons and we don't have community, Like right now, we're in commune. We're we're in soul commune. We're communicating in community. Community is more than just you. It could be two people as a community. So with with a community that allows us to integrate, reflect, journal. even sometimes just to explore and just to speak out concepts is so healthy and so refreshing. Mm -hmm. You know, when people talk about their problems, it releases that out of their body. Yeah. We're mostly water. People forget this, man. We're, (laughs) we're, we're pretty much water Mm -hmm. and then we're some muscle tissue and proteins Mm -hmm. and water holds charge. Mm -hmm. So when we speak, you and I are speaking through our voice boxes, we're speaking out the truth. Mm -hmm. When I was talking about my past and all the things that happened for me, I was speaking that out and there's still a residue clean out with some of those things, just mm-hmm. like there is with all of us. All, yeah. of, all of us sure. carry little bits of residue. So in a way, this conversation has been uh, cathartic for me mm. in fragments because it allows me to speak about my truth. Yeah. And it allows me to continually fortify those subconscious files that happen for me mm. so that I can approach them with love. Mm. Because unless we're doing continual washing, then sometimes we get clouded, man. Yeah. Our, our thinking, our mental health can become cloudy if we're not doing the conscious loving work to clean our windows. Yeah. And I think of ayahuasca as a pressure washer, right? Yeah. So once a year, you know, <laughs> doing a big pressure wash on the window, yeah. we start to see things more clearly, yeah. but meditation and breath work and even float tanks and all these alternative therapies, mm. they can get people to do more of a milder cleaning. Yeah. And so we all have to clean. There's no way around it and actually I want to remove the word have to Mm -hmm. part of being a human is that we clean ourselves. Yeah. yeah. There's no have to.
1: It's great. I mean, I, I appreciate you uh, kind of rounding it out with that and also, you know, kind of sharing everything that you've shared here today, because I believe that part of the cleaning process is really initiated by people seeing themselves and people like you. So you sharing that story is is cleansing, you know, on a lot of levels and hopefully to the many people that have a chance to hear it and see that reflection of their own lives and your leadership and how you've used your life for your benefit, for your family's benefit and for your community. So thank you. Uh, anything else that you want to make sure we Um, get out there, where to find you or any other kind of final thoughts?
0: Yeah. I mean, you, first of all, thank you for such great questions. So the way that you were able to navigate the story and give me the space to express that it's a skill Mm. and it's a skill that I think comes from someone's heart and someone's head Mm. their ability to merge the two so thank you for that my pleasure if people have heard concepts that i've talked about that they're more curious on go to wellness force we have 300 shows i mean there's so much information out there but i handpick these people like brett (laughs) so that we can actually trust what it is they're saying and you can trust me when i explore this physical and emotional intelligence because as i talked about it's not about just how much you read or how many podcasts you listen to there's there's this three-step phase to intelligence. And so if you're curious about the breath work, we have this Breathe program that's going to be launching. And Breathe is about the BTFA loop, but it's also about eating, moving, and sleeping. Mm. So it's seven letters long. Each one of them is actually one of the wellness practices. And you can get a free guide. That's a great intro. It's my gift to your audience. It's wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. Mm-hmm. And it's those six practices. It'll start people out. It's free and There's really the best things in there that you can do. And I promise you, if you do these six things every day for 21 days or 30 days, you can change your life. You really can if you decide, and if you have the community to fortify it. Yeah, if you want it. If you want it. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Thank you. You want it, you know you do. We all want it. (laughs) You want this. We all want
1: it, and it is worth it. And they're amazing tools. And thank you for sharing them with the audience and the world, and uh, thank you for being here. It's been fun.
0: Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening
1: to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.